Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man. What a complete farce these last few days have been. The NBA has to do something about this. I realize that having teams pick their playoff opponents could have its own set of unintended consequences. But, man, we had seven of the eight playoff matchups were not determined as of today. You think, wow, what an awesome day of games this would be. And we had precisely one game in which both teams tried, which is Orlando and Charlotte. And Charlotte, halfway through, had no reason to try because Detroit was beating the Knicks by 30 and you had things like milwaukee playing basically none of their stars other than chris middleton for 15 minutes and then fouling to get out of the game and guys playing 48 minutes in that game they played zone the entire game to spare everyone okc won that one relatively easily you had portland not play any of their guys they played six guys anthony simons gary trent and jake layman all played 48 minutes Sacramento, apparently not getting the mo, actually played all of their guys in the first half, led by 25 after an 87-point first half, decided that that was enough, set their starters in the second half, and were outscored by 30 points in the second half as as Simons had 37 points and Scal in a revenge game had 29 points. Meanwhile, Denver trailed by double digits with three minutes left in the game and came back using a 14-0 run against Minnesota to win and get the result that they had tanked for last Saturday, which is they are two, Blazers are three, but the Blazers actually didn't want to be three. They wanted to be four, which I actually don't agree with, but they thought they matched up better with utah than okc well well they didn't want it hard enough because they could have gotten it but ended up but six guys were enough for them so yeah, yeah. I, I mean at some point i guess they figured that just telling the guys to not play hard or intentionally coaching to lose is just too corrosive for your culture they at least had some modicum of decorum and denver thanks them and houston will not be happy clint capel will not be happy he had a huge bonus for making the west finals he's not going to get that now uh it really was just atrocious and i hated every moment i used to love this point of the season when teams would actually try and really it seemed like starting in 2016-17 and this is one of the downsides of all these teams actually embracing rest and which overall i think is a good thing but for teams to just not even try and games, even when they didn't have a reason to lose right i mean it used to be they'd rest guys because they're tanking and trying to improve their lottery odds that wasn't even really the case for any of these teams tonight memphis had a need to win i guess dallas had some reason to lose those are the only real big ones that stood out to me i guess we'll have to talk about what the the lottery seedings are going to be in a little bit here at the end so all right uh my complaining is now over should have been an awesome night of basketball it wasn't i was annoyed it was a crazy night of basketball but it wasn't awesome because nobody was actually trying so i'll leave it up to you you want to pick the first series to talk about here yeah i'll just note before we get into that that structurally a lot of the elements that led to the last few days aren't going to change and so the reasonable expectation should be that absent any any big shifts in how the league calculates 
basically anything, this will continue. Like this is this is what we should expect to see moving forward because the incentives are broadly aligned for that. Certain teams are trying to rest guys to get ready for the playoffs. Other teams are just mitigating injury. And this wasn't even circumstances like Phoenix shutting down Eric Bledsoe a month early. You know, I'm not going to go after Memphis once they're, you know, like for the last couple of games of the season, once things are already settled, just not pushing Mike Connolly too hard. I, I'm, that's not a big deal for me in terms, like I'm not, I'm not going to come down on the league hard. I mean, we saw Steph Curry turn his ankle in the early stages of Tuesday's game, and there are all sorts of things that can happen. We'll talk about the Marcus Smart injury as well. So I expect you know, you could even see some of this stuff exacerbate over the next couple of years. And one way to solve parts of it, you you talked about choosing your opponents that would solve parts of it on the top end of the bracket in each conference and reducing the number of games in the season theoretically could do part of that because it would, depending on, it might change the amount of time that teams are eliminated. It might not. I mean, so I expect this to continue. I mean, that's just the way it is. Let's start with the series that I am the most intellectually interested in. I guess at least the one that will be will be engaging for me is is Rockets Jazz. It looked like that series was not going to happen until about the final three minutes of the regular season when Denver ended up pulling out the two seed. Then Portland won, so through through tiebreakers that pushed through a tiebreaker the one to one tiebreaker that pushed Houston there. This is a rematch of last year. Now there are arguments to be said that both these teams will look different. Remember Ricky Rubio missed extended time. I don't know if he missed the whole series, but he missed a lot of time in that series. He, he did miss the whole. series series it was the whole series five, oh yeah he got hurt in I the believe. okc series that's right it might have actually been the beginning of game six that, that he got hurt but i mean we, we don't know for sure that he's gonna play with this quad injury either that's Obviously, true the jazz didn't play anybody uh in this game against the clippers which i don't even know what happened in it but the clips were locked into the eighth seed by the time that happened and so were the jazz um so yeah that that'll be really big i think let's start with this though it was a five gamer last year you'll recall the jazz had that big win in game two that had people thinking oh man this could be a closer series than we thought donovan mitchell had that preposterous tip dunk and then the jazz came home for two games in a row and just couldn't score to save their lives against houston switching system now houston has somewhat abandoned that this year after the start of the year we may see them go back to it though because utah does not really have a post threat i think they also wanted to save chris paul utah is not a huge offensive rebounding team and that was a big part of why i think they went away from the switching system as well and they're just overall going to play harder you would think so i think that's one big question that i have but just looking at the quality of these two teams before we get into the strategy of it all would you say that this looks like a closer matchup than it was last year i would especially with the added context of rubio missing that entire series he gives the jazz an an added element in terms of ball handling and that that helps and then houston even though they figured a lot of it out their their personnel to me is is worse than last year you know it's not as substantial as earlier in the season when they were giving minutes to guys that were pretty terrible but still their their perimeter or their forward defense you know they still have pj tucker but they don't have mba mute who as i recall did decently well in that series before being a disaster in the western conference finals and ariza who was was a meaningful part of the second round as well so you know they have guys like daniel house they they i think they have enough but i would say the rockets are a little bit worse and the jazz are a little bit better and also if you want to kind of go into the aging curve part of this utah's you know getting a year older i think does utah more favors than houston though i don't think it's massive in either direction well 
Houston 53 and 29, Utah 50 and 32. Utah in the end won 7.8 games fewer than their point differential would have expected. That's one of the biggest numbers we've seen. Dallas last year was up there with nine. Now that I think was the highest number I'd seen in quite some time. That 13-14 Minnesota team. Utah had the point differential of a 58 win team per cleaning the glass. Third in the NBA in net rating plus 6.7. Houston was fifth at plus 4.8. And Houston ultimately had been luckier earlier in the season they ended up though with some of the late blowouts they have right around where with the number of wins their point differential was suggested so actually on paper the utah jazz are a better team than the houston rockets now houston well, has but, home court yeah I, this is this is pretty amazing so i mean there's been a lot made and this is genuine that houston has been so much better in the later portion of the season and since february 1st the rockets are the number two team in the nba in net rating outscoring opponents by this is cleaning the glasses so it filters out garbage time outscoring opponents by 10.2 points per possessions you know who's number one since february 1st the utah jazz plus 11.1 yeah that that's pretty remarkable and certainly the jazz have had an easy schedule we've talked about how having a front-loaded schedule these days is actually an advantage because so many teams are kind of out of it and those bad teams aren't as good as they were early in the season so statistically it's really interesting uh utah sports the number one defense in the nba houston sports the number two offense in the nba behind golden state milwaukee dropped a little bit with some of the not trying that they did late in the season the big thing that i'm going to be looking at is you know there is going to be a fair amount of switching from houston i don't know if they're going to go with that system the entire time but we saw that utah had a lot of success in that game to win slipping the screens early getting to the rim and getting dunks with favors and gobert and then houston got a lot more physical the rest of the series we saw houston be really physical against golden state with that switching system when guys would try to slip lots of holding off the ball that was a point of education this year is that going to hurt houston's defense against utah quinn snyder spent all of this summer trying to figure out how are we going to counter switching defenses when we don't really have great iso players another thing i think you can look at too is houston's individual defenders when they are switching aren't as good this year you mentioned Mbamute, who didn't play that big of a role in that series but you know defensively he was still pretty good they don't have trevor ariza anymore who might have been their best one-on-one guy in the switching system now they don't really have anyone who you'd characterize on the wing as a stopper i mean i think even tucker is more solid when he's out on the perimeter it's really more his versatility to be able to guard all five positions than you know how incredibly good he is as a one-on-one guy Harden I think has gotten worse Capella to me has gotten worse and the guy who's going to have to do a lot of this Donovan Mitchell remember he suffered that foot injury against OKC he did have some big games but I think he looks a lot better this year his three ball uh, looks better as well if they are going to play it conventionally so I do think Utah is better equipped to, to make this a series now James Harden actually didn't have the greatest series against utah last year they were really the first team before even we saw it i think from milwaukee they didn't do as extreme as milwaukee but they did that strategy of forcing harden to drive sticking on his left hand they weren't as concerned about the step back but they definitely didn't want to let him go left harden is not very capable of throwing passes with his right hand making passes from the right side of the court to the left side of the court and utah is one of the first teams to try to exploit that and they did a pretty good job on harden their their defense was i think good enough to win last year was just their offense could not score against Houston. Yeah, and I, I think that's also part of the story of why I'm going to 
I'm going to pick Houston in this series, though I think the chances of an of Utah winning this series are higher than I'm guessing other people will say. This is a repeat of a series that one of the teams won in five last year. That structurally a lot of things are similar for these teams, not identical, but similar. But the concept that Utah has figured that that things have changed in terms of coaching and strategy and personnel does really matter. And I think Utah was closer to figuring things out, but they just didn't have they didn't have the horses. They didn't have enough time or, or any of those sorts of things. And I thought Houston did a really nice job of adjusting to the to the switching, though I, I to the slipping. But I do think that you brought up a good point in terms of whether the point of education carries over into the playoffs. And I think in many ways, Utah is helped by this series being first by being in the first round, because in case there's some, you know, Monty McCutcheon is reaching out to the referees at the beginning of the playoffs saying, you know, there could it could be kind of like the beginning of the regular season and the preseason where you see certain things get called really tightly and then it fades out over the course of the year. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the points of education more zealously called during the first round than subsequent rounds, and that would make Utah theoretically a beneficiary. A few other differences from this series last year. Chris Paul is not the same. You remember in game five, Chris Paul had 40 points. I don't think Chris Paul is going to be putting up 40 points in this series. And James Harden is better in theory, but they are also much more dependent upon him. Eric Gordon hasn't been quite as good. They're very reliant on guys like Amon Shumpert and Daniel House, who's played well, but you know those guys haven't been in Houston for the playoffs. Backup center is unsettled for Houston as well if they're going to go with Farid he's a real defensive liability Nene hasn't really looked like himself all season and so I do think if Harden has a bad series we could see Houston really struggle to score against this number one defense and one thing though to the opposite there is that Utah now has Kyle Korver and Korver certainly I think is going to help them a lot offensively Houston we mentioned is one of the best in the league at shrinking the floor especially when they switch and helping off a non-shooters well now Utah has as a guy who you just can't leave it all but the other problem though is that houston we haven't seen quite as much of this but they relentlessly hunt this year as last year but they will relentlessly hunt the toughest matchup for the opponent against harden and kyle corfer i mean we saw when he played against golden state he really just couldn't hold up now that was on a Cavs team that didn't he didn't have rudy gobert behind him he didn't have the defensive culture that they have in utah i presume that they will do everything they can to avoid a switch they will try to get the ball out of harden's hands and you know if he's if Corver is guarding Amon Shumpert or Daniel House, they'll say, all right, you guys go and make a play on us and we'll be we'll try to rotate out of that behind. We're going to get the ball out of Harden's hands rather than getting stuck in a switch on that play. Or maybe at least we'll just have Corver show and then try to get back to his man once uh, Harden is given the ball up. That's going to be something to watch very closely as well. Utah, the one thing that they did have last year was an absence of just straight up vulnerable defenders. And now they are going to have to try and hide Corver a little bit here and they don't have Dante Exum who did a nice job last year uh with that torn patellar tendon now he, he was pretty good against Harden last year and uh now they don't have him any longer yeah Exum Exum's absence could end up making making a meaningful difference in this series and I would say just at first glance that this is the series I am most interested in from a tactical perspective because there are these wrinkles and because I could see Quinn Snyder and Mike D'Antoni changing things around over the course of the series. And we, we saw a little bit of that last year, but I think the, the pieces are in place to do a little bit more this year. So I'm pretty excited about that component of this series. 
Yeah, and I'm interested to see what D'Antoni has up his sleeve as far as some different ways to attack defenses other than just being totally hardened, reliant, and trying to get the switch and get the ISO. Um, anything else stick out to you here? Um, I mean, I think the only other big question I have is Utah was actually number 12 in offensive rebounding, but you know, generally that's just Rudy Gobert or Favors going to the offensive glass. Houston, not only are they not a good defensive rebounding team, but they're not a good transition team on offense. And so there isn't really that much opportunity cost for hitting the offensive glass. Uh, so I, I would like to see Utah do more of that. And I'd also like to see Utah try and run and beat Houston's defense on the floor. Their transition defense can be vulnerable at times. I guess the last question is, are we going to see Favors and Gobert starting at all? Or is Snyder just going to go straight away to Jay Crowder? Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm I not totally sure. That. I, I yeah, think I, that's I think the right call, but he might, he, he might give it a, give it a quick look at yeah, Maybe he won't even give it a quick look at first. Maybe they'll try it at a, a midpoint in a game, in game one. But yeah, I, I, that's how I would, I would start with Crowder because you know what Houston's going to try to do and there, you might as well just be prepared for it because that's where they're going, at least at the start. Well, and I think that it's really more about utah being able to score now who are you going to start if you i guess you would start crowder and if rubio isn't available now you're pretty thin on the wings if you're utah you definitely don't want to have to play grayson allen tava cephalosha is kind of an offensive liability he can play the four some but you know you don't really want him as like a straight up wing player when you pair him with royce o'neill who shot it well but he's not a high volume guy joe ingles is gonna have to play a ton of minutes we mentioned that corver you know i mean he's 38 years old cal corver like to expecting to play more than 25 minutes at playoff intensity is difficult Howell Neto who hasn't played in some time due to an ankle injury unclear whether he's even going to be available but he really struggled against Houston last year defensively I, mean, I think he's a very good regular season backup point guard but it just doesn't have the athleticism to keep up at the highest levels this is definitely a bummer I think for I mean Houston in particular I mean have to play Utah and then have to play Golden State in the second round uh, but also for Utah I mean I think Utah I would have favored them to win any other matchup, I think. So uh, too bad for them as well. That these two teams, probably your second and third best teams in the Western Conference had to meet in round one. I mean, this this feels like you know, Denver, it, it took a crazy series event. Paul George, Mo Harkless hitting game winners yesterday, and then Denver coming back from 11 down at, at home against a Minnesota team not playing Carl Anthony Towns the last three minutes of the game and that crazy Portland comeback but Denver's tanking did work out it's almost like in 2006 when the old rules made the oh actually no I misspoke Denver was actually the three seed that year and the Clippers tanked into six so they could get Denver in the first round so I, I it wasn't the same team but this is probably the best tanking for a first round matchup has worked out since then um all right th- but that's uh a little bit far field anything else you want to talk about with this series we got seven more to get to here so we should probably move on no th- that's really all i need to get to get to but we can move to one that will be substi- oh no we didn't do our actual predictions <laughs> Yes, that, that would be useful. You have some new Byzantine formula that we're going to be scoring by this year, which uh, Danny's going to post a Google Doc of that, uh, a, a link for uh, Patreon subscribers so they can actually see uh, in real time who's winning and he'll uh, lay out the scoring system, which I still don't understand, which is probably better that I don't because well, then I would probably try to game the system. All, all I will say is that it creates a stronger incentive for getting the, this was the concept, getting the correct winning team and number of games exactly right. That 
is that is meaningfully more. I kind of, in a way, I got inspired by the way soccer does it, where it's like three points for a win, one for a draw, and then zero for a tie. It's kind of along those lines. But yeah, it'll be explained in the doc, and we'll be scored yeah, over I, I think it. we just doubled our subscribers right now because people are going to want to see <laughs> what <laughs> what scoring system you're going on. Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Uh, all right, I will go first here. Sure. I'm going to go with the Houston Rockets in seven games, but I don't think it'll be a close game seven, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I mean, obviously that makes sense, but uh, it's, I, I think these teams are pretty close. I really respect what Utah is doing. Rubio's availability is just a variable we just don't know right now. I think he's really important. There's just going to be too much on Mitchell and Joe Ingles, and I think they could struggle to score. But I think Utah has the horses to slow down Harden and this overall Houston attack, which to me is not as good as last year. They don't have that second guy in Chris Paul right now. And Eric Gordon hasn't been as good. He's a year older. He's struggled with injuries all year. So I, I think Utah is going to be able to hold with them. And I think there's, you know, I would give Utah a 30% chance of winning this series. You know, I, I think it's, uh, they got a legitimate shot. I, I really think they do, but uh, they certainly are not the favorites anywhere close to it. And if I had to pick second, most likely I'd probably go Rockets in five or six. Oh, by the way, I guess I shouldn't have been shitting on Grayson Allen because he had 40 points. <laughs> <laughs> today against the Clippers it's the first time I looked at that 11 of 30 from the field oh god what a joke the end of the NBA season is I debated a lot more in this about who about how many games rather than who I thought was going to win I I feel like the issues that Utah had offensively last year while not as severe this time around are still present and that's something that I I, I still think matters in this series I ended up going with Rockets in six so we do have a slight disagreement there or not in terms of winner but in terms of duration and i'm open to being wrong in this series you know it's it's one that i'm having some trouble calibrating not necessarily how it will start but how it will finish you know the adjustments and and how different each how different game four will look than game one but yeah i'm i'm, I'm going with rockets in sec yeah and i think ultimately you've got strength against strength and weakness against weakness on either end of the floor houston's offense against utah's defense and vice versa but i still like houston i think there's more reason to believe that houston's defense is better than their stats they've been really good the last two months they were good last year they got rid of some of the guys who who were killing them early on guys got into better shape they got chris paul back who was really important to their defense and so i think there's more reason to believe that houston's defense is going to really have success against utah's offense i i I think there's more reason to believe that houston's defense is better than the numbers than that utah's offense is better than the numbers you know i think 14th in the nba seems about right especially you know if if rubio is either going to not play or be hobbled i mean he's had the hamstring issues had the quad issues so uh it would really be a bummer if he can't play but uh you know those are the breaks i guess uh all right i will pick the next series that we should do and that is the boston celtics against the indiana pacers devastating news i would say for the boston celtics marcus smart slated to miss the first two rounds of the playoffs with a torn oblique he suffered a few days ago that i believe is the same injury that chris bosh had that kept him out a little bit more than one round but obviously with those types of injuries it's a question of severity smart to recall had an injury last year with that thumb came back for game five of the milwaukee series i thought he actually turned that series he was really the only guy on the team who was able to slow down chris middleton and that certainly could matter for the second round but we'll talk about that when Boston gets there I think they still remain substantial favorites though over an Indiana team that has not played particularly well of late they have a few of their own injury concerns as well Wes Matthews has been in out of the lineup with a hamstring injury 
and uh, missed the last game with a toe, although that was obviously a meaningless one against Indiana. Uh, hopefully Matthews is 100% coming back from the hamstring. He did play in a couple of games. And I don't think that Smart will be missed that much in this series. You can make the argument that Boston is better on offense without him. He has shot better from three this year, but still somebody who's going to have to prove that he can make shots in the playoffs. Gordon Hayward has been playing better of late. Jalen Brown, even though the numbers aren't there this year, is a more respected, I think, superior shooter over the course of his career than Smart is. And I think that especially with Brown, they can get enough on Boyan Bogdanovich. I, I just don't think Bogdanovich is like the level of perimeter player who's going to give, just be like, oh man, we desperately need Marcus Smart against, to stop this guy. We can't stop him otherwise. And Victor Oladipo is out, of course. So, and Tyreek Evans can get hot, but you know, he's not been a linchpin of what Indiana is doing this year. So I don't think Smart will be missed that much in this series. Do you agree with me? Yes and no. I think that he will be missed on Bogdanovich, but I agree with your thesis that Bogdanovich, while important to Indiana, it, I don't see him necess- maybe more than once dropping like 35 and propelling Indiana to win. That's the, in a series like this, especially with the other defenders that Boston has and, and the team concepts and everything else, that seems a little bit rosy for me in terms of what, what this difference will make. And one of the major tactical decisions in this series now that was not an anticipated one is Brad Stevens figuring out how he wants to manage this absence not only in terms of who starts which is the is the natural place who finishes and how many minutes how you how you shift the apportioning of minutes between you know giving some more to Jalen Brown giving some more to to Gordon Hayward maybe Ojale fits in a little bit more here too I think that's something that that could make some sense and it might take some time to get that right. Fortunately for Boston, even though Indiana, I would say they're they are the probably the best of the four bottom seeds, even without Oladipo. I would have to really think about that, and I haven't I haven't really processed that all the way because it's not super relevant. But I do agree with you though that it, 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 you know if Indiana's practice here, if what they're trying to do is oh Bojan Bogdanovic is going to take us all the way home, he has had a wonderful season, he has had a, a career year, all of that kind of stuff in a playoff series against the Boston Celtics. I do not think that is the path to victory. Brad Stevens has been critical of the Celtics' defense lately, but uh, I do think that they can turn it up in a playoff setting. Not having Smart does definitely hurt. I mean, he was uh, my first team all defense for a reason. He was yours as well. Uh, but they do have other capable options there who can play some more Terry Rozier is, can certainly play some more for them in two guard alignments with Irving you mentioned Ojale can play a little more up front and, and maybe push Tatum or Gordon Hayward down Hayward has looked better I mean he actually had some games where he was finishing at the rim he had some quotes about how he was actually able to get in the lane and control his speed and euro step and kind of do those leaners in the lane that he became famous for in Utah so obviously he's going to be a big X factor for this team not only in this series but going forward I honestly don't see this matchup as being that close so I mean I think Indiana is under 500 now since Oladipo has been out what is their net rating since Oladipo went down I think those are the more relevant statistics maybe we do their offense and defense when we talk about this I think it was January 23rd that he went down with that rupture. It was. So Indiana, since January 23rd, they have a plus 2.9 net rating, which is 10th in the NBA. They are 18th on offense 
and fourth on defense, which is actually where they finished for the yeah. full season. That's very as well. close to their season long numbers. Actually, I'm surprised at that. Nate McMillan, my number two coach of the year. But yeah, I, something so I get, that I, yeah. I I've been trying to process with this series. Wait, let me make sure. Make make sure that I might have actually not run the filter. Let, let just a second. I want to make sure I don't get this wrong on the on the show because it it looks like it might not have processed fully. Okay, nope, that wasn't right. Um, let me let me get it. Okay, here are the actual numbers. Apologies for that. Um, Indiana 18th in net rating, negative 1.2, 23rd in offense, 11th in defense. So steps down on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Okay. That that's uh, that that makes more sense. That yeah, I I should have noticed. I'm like, oh, they're the same rank in defense. I should have remembered that. But I. I Anyway, so that those are the right numbers. Yeah, and, and, and then Boston won two point eight games fewer than expected. So forty nine wins for Boston, forty eight for Indiana. You think this is a close series? I don't really think that it is. Also, when you consider how well Boston has scored with Kyrie Irving on the floor, he's going to play a lot more minutes now. Indiana, a big part of where they've been successful this year is off the bench. That's less important. Al Horford also has missed a lot of games for Boston. He is someone who I think can give some problems to Miles Turner with his pick and pop ability. We'll see whether Stevens is going to go with Horford and Bain starting or not. I think they probably will. And that will nullify what could be a potential advantage of Thad Young in the post. We may see Boston decide, though, ultimately that they want to go with more spacing. Another problem for Indiana, I don't really like their matchups for Kyrie Irving in the starting lineup Collison I think could could really get abused there Wes Matthews is too slow so is Bogdanovich then if you're going to go with Corey Joseph you're going to get an offensive downgrade and I mean I think that's really what it's going to come down to here is I don't think Indiana's be able to score on this Boston defense Something else I'm I'm tracking in this series is Indiana has they've had the number four defense over the course of the full season and they did not do that by forcing their opponent you know the opponent's shot distribution is not particularly strong for them it's more that opponents missed more of their shots especially from you know Florida range and mid range they their opponents shot poorly from those areas and obviously Indiana was contributing to that how they really succeeded defensively was more by forcing turnovers and by not fouling. Boston doesn't generate fouls very often. They they drew the second, they had the second lowest free throw attempt rate in the entire NBA, and Boston did not turn the ball over very much this year. So what I'm thinking, and this could end up, you know, I, I'm not a rock solid on this, but I think that the advantages that Indiana's defense has against most teams are not going to be as useful against Boston because that's just, you're not taking things away from Boston that are a huge problem. Now, if, if they turn the ball over a lot, then that totally changes it. But I'm guessing with more Kyrie, with more of their best players on the floor, that will not be as big of a problem for Boston as Indiana has made it for most of their opponents this season. Yeah, and Indiana, a good percentage-wise three-point shooting team, but doesn't get a lot of attempts up. And Boston is well known uh, for their ability to prevent and more, even more so challenge three-pointers. See whether that uh, continues here. But I I just... Boston, to me, has the two best players in the series. They don't have anyone who can touch Kerry Irving. And I think Al Horford, especially the level he played at in the playoffs last year, he, he was rounding into form as the season went along with that knee tendonitis and hopefully won't suffer any setbacks there. But I think they, Boston's the two best players in the series. And I think ultimately even their defense is better than Indiana's uh, as well when they really turn it up. I think they also, while I respect what McMillan has done this year, I think that Boston has a significant coaching advantage in this one down the end of games managing foul trouble 
ATOs, adjustments. I, I think Stevens has proven himself uh, the superior of McMillan, who I've not found to be that adept of a playoff coach in his time at, in Indiana in terms of some of the adjustments and managing games, although I do think overall he's a good coach. So uh, I think this is going to be a five-gamer for Boston. I was between four and five before Marcus Smart got hurt, before that announcement was out there. I then was thinking more six, and then as I've kind of gone through the rest of the day, I'm like, no, I still think this is a five-game series. The Celtics, I don't think they have the points the points to attack, which is something that McMillan has done well. You know, like, okay, if a team had, like, going back to that Cleveland series last year, there were moments where I thought he did a nice job of picking at the sores. Boston has fewer of them, and also Indiana does not have Victor Oladipo, who is their best guide attacking those flaws they're going to have to make some tough offensive defensive choices and even without Marcus Smart the Celtics have more options they have more different looks that they can give and I would agree with you that they have superior talent so I'm going Celtics in five as well yeah, and I think if anything, I would be more inclined to, to pick a sweep. I just don't see how Indiana is going to score on this team. Maybe if they they don't really have much spacing with that young, Miles Turner doesn't space out to three nearly as much as I think he could in another system. Sabonis isn't uh, doesn't have a ton of range either. Uh, I think Doug McDermott, if if they try to play him on the second unit, that he's going to get eaten up by uh, those Boston wings on the other end. So I, I just, I don't really care for the matchup for Indiana. If Oladipo were healthy, I think it'd be a completely different story. Uh, I also think that Miles Turner, his impact is a little bit muted because Boston is just not a team that goes to the rim that much anyway. So his rim protection doesn't help as much and he's more weaker getting out on the floor and Boston's going to take a lot of threes and Kyrie is going to be able to get open for jumpers, whether it's an ISO or in pick and roll. I'm very interested to see how Turner does, especially if it's Al Horford at center for large swaths of time for this Boston team. All right, so we have the identical pick there. Before we move on though, I want to tell you about Team Rubicon, a charity that Danny and I are both involved with. And Danny, you actually introduced me to them. You've been donating to them since, what, 2012, before you even really started podcasting, right? Yeah, I believe so. And what drew me to Team Rubicon is is just their, their mission and the way that they go after it. So natural disasters affect people in all parts of life. They affect the rich and the poor. It's not a political thing. And oftentimes, th- those who are most affected by natural disasters are those that are underserved, those that are that have to deal with economic challenges. And so that creates a place for Team Rubicon to make the most impact. And so what they do is they provide disaster relief to those affected by natural disasters by basically having people who have who built their skills as in the military these are veterans by work having them work with first responders and medical professionals to help people in need in these situations of great crisis and so when i heard about them i did plenty of digging and i just want to make sure they were an organ i i love the idea but then you you start there but then the next part is is this an organization that is that does it well and that it, that has proven their mettle and th- i felt that way then and i've continued to donate and continue to support them since then because they have. And I, I've really been impressed with the vision, the execution, and just the overall great work that Team Rubicon does. Yeah. And if you want to donate to them, teamrubiconusa.org slash Catspace. It was just five bucks, 10 bucks, something like that. If you've enjoyed this show and you haven't had a chance to take advantage of any of our sponsors, we really encourage you to make a donation. That's teamrubiconusa.org slash capspace is the URL. Okay, you're up to pick our next series. 
oof, not not a lot of strong ones left. That we we really did hit the hit the two best ones early. You thought you thought that's that would be your second best one is Boston Indiana. I I think that series kind of sucks actually. I think a lot of these series kind of suck, but. <laughs> But I'm going to go... Oh, no, I, I would put that easily in the bottom half, Boston Indiana. Okay, interesting. I will have a, I will have a lot of the East well, in, would, in my bottom half. Would you like half. me to pick a series that I'm more interested in than that one? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see what, what's tickling your fancy at this moment. I think uh, Brooklyn-Philly is going to be really interesting. That's the matchup that you and I, I think we both wanted. And I think while Philly is clearly a far superior team and... Philly arguably would have the four best players in the series, possibly even the five best players in the series, depending on on what you think of some of Brooklyn's guys. Brooklyn's strengths match up with Philly's weaknesses very, very well. Just give you the the quick stats here on those teams. The Sixers are a 51 and 31 ball club, although they won 3.7 more games than expected, only a plus 2.4 net rating, sporting the number nine offense and the number 13 ranked defense. Although much, much better when Joel Embiid is on the floor. They're up at best in the league levels there. And then when he sits, their uh, backup center rotation is atrocious defensively. So they really struggle. Brooklyn, on the other hand, 42 and 40. Their net rating slightly in the negative, 0.2. They are only 20th on offense, despite the feeling that this is a team that really just bombs it from three and they're kind of a high-powered team. They're actually better on defense at 15th than they are on offense at 20th, which is uh, very interesting. But despite that, I think that Brooklyn's strengths really match up well with Philly's weaknesses. Do you agree with that? Somewhat. I don't think I I do it as strongly as you do. I mean, one of the big questions with this series is going to be minutes distribution and timing because Brooklyn does a very good job of getting to the getting to the free throw line. That's actually been a strength of theirs this year. But really, that's the Spencer Dinwiddie show. That's where that happens. And to me, if Dinwiddie and Joel Embiid's minutes are paired, then that will be a much bigger problem. We've talked before about how D'Angelo Russell can struggle, often does, against switching defenses, and then he does better against dropdown. I wonder if Brett Brown, even though they are the more talented team, would be better served to do what's usually kind of the opposite strategy, which is, you know, adjusting based on what the other team is doing to try to take away that advantage of Brooklyn. I do agree with you, though, that that they're willing that Brooklyn's willingness to take threes and some of the some of their tactical stuff does fit well against not only broadly in, in David's strategies, but also specifically against the 76ers. Well, here's here's why I said what I said. I, I agree with some of what you're saying. Now, the playoffs, we always talk about how benches don't matter as much. But Brooklyn has one of the best benches in the NBA, both in terms of plus minus, and they just have a, a ton of depth. And Philly, even if they're going to play all of their starters 40 minutes, J.J. Reddick can't go 40 minutes, number one, I don't think. And number two, everybody off of Brooklyn's bench to me is a big or I'm sorry, off of Philly's bench to me, it's a big liability. Mike Scott is just too spacey defensively. At least he has to be respected on offense. But, you know, I mean, he's someone who, you know, I think is a fringe rotation player that you're just hoping that he doesn't kill you when he goes out there. And he's their best bench player. Then everyone else has very significant weaknesses. And in particular, weaknesses that play into Brooklyn's strike. D'Angelo Russell is really difficult to stop when 
you're playing conventional pick and roll defense against him well amir johnson or boban that's what they're going to do and they're not good at playing conventional pick and roll defense even and they have to and even in beat he switched some at the end of games but that's not what philly wants to do necessarily in a baseline we saw actually in the first game of the season they did a lot of switching against boston when boston was playing with a, a more in theory versatile lineup there they were starting that group with hayward and jalen brown with horford at center but i still don't think that's what philly wants to do throughout an entire series then also brooklyn has really been pioneering in not guarding teams they play that zone when philly goes to some bench units ben simmons and mcconnell i mean those guys are basically gonna have to play together at times they've got other guys who just can't shoot at big liability they do have reddick and, and against the zone you might be able to run some specific plays where you can't the nature of a zone is you're not gonna be as attuned to like one specific player so they might be able to run some stuff to get reddick open against the zone uh but you know the zone does the idea is to keep teams from getting inside jimmy butler he doesn't really want to shoot threes either you know they really only have two consistent three-point shooters in their starting lineup and that's reddick and harris so I think that zone can work. And then even when they don't play zone, they've just done a really good job of daring non-shooters to shoot and helping off of them, perhaps in more extreme fashion than just about any team in the NBA. Uh, So I think with both the way they play defense and their bench strength and then the quick guards that philly just isn't gonna be able to guard in the perimeter and the drop coverage i think brooklyn really does have some advantages on the other hand they just don't have anywhere close to the top end talent that philly has in this series the top end talent is a huge advantage i mean we haven't really seen philly's five the the concept of their starting and closing five we just haven't seen those guys together that much because so many they've missed so much time since the deadline but they i mean those lineups i think will will run roughshod as much as they're together now philly's bench we talked about it's a little bit in not executive of the year their bench is so bad that they don't get to play those guys together as much as they should that's just the way it works because they would be hemorrhaging points so badly during those the opposite the the just trough minutes that that would be a big problem a couple of things that i want to keep an eye on in this series part of brooklyn's strength defensively is that this year they've really reduced the amount of threes that opponents are taking their sixth fewest shot proportion in the league and they're also not giving up a ton of shots at the rim however they also have depending on how people think luck and skill plays into this they have the third weakest opponent three-point shooting percentage and so that's something that it it doesn't necessarily affect it as much against the Sixers because other than jj reddick they don't and tobias they don't have a lot of great shooters but to me that part of it is a little bit more that's a little bit more fortune rather than what shots you're you're controlling and then the other thing is philly notorious for their loose control of the ball and brooklyn is not particularly great at forcing turnovers they were they're in the bottom 10 of the league this year and philly stands out because they are a team that can give the ball away sometimes whether you take it from them or not and so i think there will be times that that happens but depending on what systems Brooklyn is playing defensively and sometimes if you're just kind of feeding guys and they're doing a little bit more isolation if the ball is not moving enough for there to be turnovers then at least if Philly gets a shot up then maybe they can grab the offensive rebound or something like that so I I, I'm wondering how the turnover battle plays I'm guessing that what's going to happen is that will swing at least one game into Brooklyn's favor so like they'll do it but that it won't be as consistent a positive as it was let's say in the Philly Boston series last year well and more 
Moreover, Brooklyn, 24th in the NBA in turnover rate. That's a big reason why their offense isn't as good as it looks on the surface. And Philly never, ever, ever forces turnovers. Uh, One of the worst uh, turnover-forcing teams in the NBA the conservative coverage a lot of guys who just are not great steals guys uh i mean i think one big variable is i want to see what jimmy butler looks like on defense he really slipped on defense this year can bring it at times but he's not quite as fast as he used to be he's not as good on ball even though in theory he might be their best choice as an on ball pick and roll defender and then as an off ball guy he hasn't been nearly as active either and then joel Embiid, elton brand said today he's optimistic that joel can play in game one i mean that knee does not sound good I mean, he's missed multiple swaths of time to try and get that back here and then what is his conditioning going to be like having missed all this time of late you know that's going to be huge in the playoffs as it was last year when he was coming back from that orbital injury now i mean brooklyn has absolutely no one to guard and beat they have nobody to guard jimmy butler on an iso particularly well i mean their damari carroll is probably their best guy there uh you know jared allen and ed davis are way too slight and beat could just put those guys in the goal they have nobody to guard ben simmons ben simmons tries to post up they don't really even have a great defensive specialist to chase J.J. Redick around either. You know, maybe that's Travion Graham. But he's been starting, but you know, he's uh, been struggling uh, on offense. So I, certainly Brooklyn, I mean, it's going to be much more about scheme, help, taking advantage of non-shooters if they are going to slow this Philly attack down a little bit. Uh, and they're going to need enormous series from Russell, enormous series from Dinwiddie. How much is Philly going to try to attack guys like Russell in particular uh, on the defensive end? You know, are they, especially at the end of games, I think, you know, small, small pick and roll with Jimmy Butler going after Russell is something that they're going to try and do. You imagine Butler's kind of been their closer this year so I, I mean if philly had any kind of a bench at all i would be picking a sweep here but i'm gonna go with six games i think that philly just has so many weird weaknesses and i like the way atkinson responds to those what he's done with the talent on hand i think brooklyn's bench can win them some games what happens when Embiid is off the floor? How many minutes can he play with the knee? James Ennis is out. I mean, they're going to really, I mean, Shake Milton, who was on a two-way and they didn't end up converting, unless I just missed that somewhere. I mean, Shake Milton might have been their, a deserving seventh man in the rotation just because he can make a shot and, you know, has a slight bit of length that isn't just totally atrocious on defense, but he's on a two-way contract. <laughs> he was drafted in the 50s in the second round. I mean, this Philly depth is just comically bad, especially with Ennis out now. I do think one one thing they can get uh, uh jonah bolden is a nice matchup against this team he would be my backup center and i would switch when he was in the game that would be my approach especially if it's russell instead of dinwiddie at point guard in those minutes but, right uh, and that's know, we'll why i whether, would do i would yeah i mean obviously Embiid's going to start but i would try to square up the minutts so that Embiid is on the floor more when dinwiddie's on the floor than russell and try to have bolden on in those minutes yeah or we, i mean we may even see some mike scott at center minutes uh, and they'll try and switch everything with those units uh, as well uh, and I mean Dinwiddie is really the only guy on this Brooklyn team who, who can attack one-on-one even if I do think Philly when they do switch is it, going to be kind of vulnerable but I, I think I believe in Brooklyn a little bit I'm going to go six games here for Philly on paper with the talent disparity in this series I would have gone sixers in five games but because not only of the sixers ability to just completely play awfully in a, in a game and just just kind of kick the ball around and that plus 
some of the scheme elements plus Joel Embiid's knee being shaky. I'm going with six games as well. Ah, and God, I thought I thought this was going to be a difference. No, I, I mean, but I, I considered it at, at different moments in time. I also don't think, you know, it's not like, oh, um, sometimes picking sixes is weird. Like I was a little bit queasy about this in the Rockets one because teams that have good home court advantages, you know, that's kind of you're maybe you're picking something as a hedge. Yeah. It's not actually what's going to happen. I'm not particularly worried about the Sixers winning a game in Brooklyn. I said so that getting this exactly right is absolutely possible. I thought about five. I think it, it, I would see much more likely to go five than seven. And sometimes for me, if I have a lot of confidence about which way who is going to win a series i usually err in terms of being too conservative and just being just saying oh it's going to be a longer series and i'm pretty i feel pretty good that philly is going to win this series but i you know there are these elements that could make it longer and so that's why yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go sixers and six and i have the choice of the next series well, one more thing too. Uh, sure. This is going to be every, those of you who are longtime listeners. You know, we're going to be doing the NBA cast, and that's basically me and Danny live play by play. Take your questions during commercials, and this is the first series, two thirty Eastern. We will be doing the NBA cast. This will probably be the only one we do on Saturday because there's a Warriors home game. So, I, I, but we got to do the fir- the first uh, game of the playoffs early in the morning. It'll be uh, eleven thirty Pacific time. So check that out. Uh, I'll be t- we'll tweet it out of course at Nate Duncan NBA so just look for that around uh 2 30 Eastern 11 Pacific on Saturday. and one thing I'll mention I'll mention as well on that is that if you're somebody who tried to engage with it earlier and for whatever reason it didn't fit with your like what the way that you engage with games because maybe maybe we were ahead of you there is a solution now now that we are on multiple platforms we're on Periscope Twitch and in this case importantly on YouTube YouTube has a functioning pause button so if we are are ahead of you you can pause us sync up because we always have the score and the time in on the screen and then you can watch it with us if you are ahead of us then you need to take like if you have you can pause and and time up with that but especially for international streamers people who are watching internationally you now have a much better way to engage with the nba cast than you did back when we started doing this venture okay where are we going next here let's keep this going with the other three six matchup blazers thunder also i want to do one that we we might not have to talk about as much this one might be a little bit quicker it seemed like the blazers did not want this particular matchup because i mean they, they could have avoided it more zealously if that's really what they didn't want and well, can, i understand we talk about that oh so you agree with them you think they're better I mean, if you're just saying oh solely winning a first round series you think they're better they have a better matchup against would have had a better matchup against utah than the thunder i do because of i think Paul that's George. insane well i think i think utah is a meaningfully better a meaningfully better team right now well, i should i shouldn't are. say insane that's not true i i i that was way too strong uh well it, here's what uh, here's the way i'm gonna phrase it there is an argument and it's an art i i haven't like fully settled on it it's not something i i spent too much time on but the reason why is i think oklahoma city's defense can do a lot to disrupt what Portland is trying to do. And Steven Adams is, I I think there's a chance that he is more destructive in, I mean, Rudy Gobert, that he can be destructive in the series on both ends of the floor. Portland does not have, I mean, this would be a problem against the Jazz and the Thunder, but Portland does not have a solution at center. They don't even have like a partial solution at center. And I could imagine that just tearing them up. And the, a lot of this is it's series, and, and this can be part of the preview for this. It's going to depend on Mo Harkless because Harkless is there is 
Portland's best hope at slowing down Paul George. And, you know, it, that that is a specific challenge for them. And, and then on the other end of the floor, Paul George doesn't have to defend Mo Harkless. They can put him, they can have him, however they, however they can deploy Paul George if they want to go Drew Holiday style and have him, have him more on Dame, they can go that direction, then put Russ on CJ or do something else that's different. There are a lot of different ways defensively that OKC can make life really hard on the Blazers here. And then offensively, it's not necessarily going to be the beautiful game, but they have really talented players that I'm not sure Portland has the counters for. Well, I'm just excited to see a matchup between the two NBA franchises that thought it was a good idea for Ennis Cancer to be paid a max, max contract. Yeah, and I, I, it was funny. At one point during the day, there was discussion about, oh man, it's going to be fun to see Ennis Cantor play against his old team, referring to the Utah Jazz. I mean, he, he did have a more acrimonious exit from Salt Lake City, but I'm pretty sure that Oklahoma City knows how to attack him as well. I mean, we're going to get a lot of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, a lot of those circumstances about, okay, yeah, Ennis Kander is going to have some positives, but going after him, his deficiencies defensively will be a big, 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 big part of the series. Well, you mentioned that Oklahoma City is not a great matchup for Portland. Number one, they have, they have a lot of athletes. I think they're overall a good defense. And we saw last year, we were critical of the Thunder for being too aggressive with their big men in pick and roll against the Jazz who run more pick and rolls than anybody but don't necessarily have the most threatening pick and roll ball handlers and so Ricky Rubio Joe Ingles those guys were diming up shooters on the weak side using their size to pass over the defense when OKC was bringing their bigs way out and then had to help on the guy rolling to the rim this I think we've seen this strategy be very successful going back to Doc Rivers in 2015-16 against Dave Muller going back to of course New Orleans last year getting the ball out of his hands getting the ball out of CJ's hands on pick and roll that's what Oklahoma City does they have the athletes to fly around and execute that system about as well as any team in the NBA and so I agree with you it's not a great matchup OKC did sweep Portland this year although one game went into overtime and all the games were within 10 points so I, I don't think that that necessarily indicates that this is just a terrible matchup for Portland but you mentioned attacking Ennis Cancer I think that OKC is about as good of a matchup as it gets for Portland's defense in a lot of ways and I think Ennis Cantor his big weakness is spread pick and roll well there's no spread to the OKC pick and roll uh, when it's someone other than Russell Westbrook running it you don't have to guard Westbrook at the three-point line he's under 30 percent from three, even Ferguson, though he shot a nice percentage, is not a high volume guy. Jeremy Grant shot a nice percentage, also not a high volume guy. He's not going to spread out. He's going to spend a lot of time around the rim. Steven Adams doesn't have any range. Some question about how effective he can be is that had a slow second half of the season and he uh, had to exit this Bucks game with a, a shoulder issue. Paul George, his health is a major concern he did not play well the last month and a half or so and in a game that i thought was must win for okc to avoid playing the warriors he didn't even play against the bucks tonight he wasn't even active after and granted it was a back-to-back and they had a, a hell of a game against houston that george won but the fact that he didn't even play does not bode well to me now there won't be back-to-backs there'll be a nice rest schedule built out that could play to george's advantage but that has to be a concern i think that aminu and harkless are decent matchups actually against george one-on-one they've got the size which i i appreciate i don't think that russell westbrook is 
that concerning of a matchup anymore in the half court now if he can get downhill and it's only cancer there then that's a concern we may see i think portland have to change their strategy just a little bit because they are very concerned with taking away the three and they want to funnel everything to to the rim they have turned guys who are poor defenders into good ones but ennis Cantor is a whole nother kettle of fish there to use a phrase that you use for whatever reason i don't know where you came up with that uh and zach collins may need to play more but he's really struggled this season it myers leonard obviously if anyone gets in foul trouble is, is not a great option but nonetheless i i think that this is the playoff team that you want to go against if you're ennis Cantor and you know he can at least rebound keep steven adams off the boards those guys can they're good friends but that's going to be an absolute war between those guys and then uh the blazers bench is vulnerable but okc's bench is also very vulnerable so uh they've been terrible whenever paul george is off the floor so i do think that okc has the talent advantage if yusuf nurkic were healthy i'd probably be picking portland in this series i don't know where to go here maybe you can say some more stuff while i really think about what i want to do here the glass is is going to be extremely important here oklahoma city the number three offensive rebounding team in the entire nba this year portland the number seven defensive rebounding team in the league this year something that i I think is going to be really important you talked about russ getting downhill is where oklahoma city gets their shots in this series because what portland their general defensive philosophy and i think this is what kind of what you're getting at in terms of what what changes another part of that is portland concedes mid-rangers and they really stop teams from shooting threes that isn't necessarily the tact against oklahoma city depending on who who is shooting each of those shots i mean okc doesn't have great mid-range shooters so depending on who's taking those but they also don't have great three-point shooters but if oklahoma city due to the weakness of portland's you know interior defense depending on you know if it's this high pick and roll what they're going to end up running then if to me if they can get all the way to the basket then portland is in is in deep deep trouble and if oklahoma city can get out in transition and that's why the feedback loops i think are are a big reason why i think oklahoma city could end up doing well in this series is they get a few stops they get easy buckets and so even if maybe portland's half court defense is more stout than many expect they still have to score they still have to avoid turning the ball over they still have to try to get some turnovers on oklahoma city they haven't oklahoma city hasn't turned the ball over that much this year and okc forces a ton of turnovers overall so i'm i I think my theory of it is that there are reasons to believe that this could series could be less disastrous for portland but i'm gonna go a little bit harder the other way i don't know if you want to say more before i make your pick but i'll make mine no go ahead the only thing that is giving me pause about there the primary thing that's giving me pause about picking OKC in five is Paul George's health because not only is he a key part of their defensive identity but I mean the reason I picked him third for MVP and had him number one for a long time was that so much of what OKC does falls apart when he's not on the floor they don't have as many capable shooters and everything like that but the schedule I think works out really well here it I'm kind of thinking of this more as an injury that's getting better rather than something that's going to stay bad this series only they only play two games before next Friday that's a long time here and those two games are at home they're going to have a riled up crowd that I think some of the as long as Paul George can actually physically be on the court so I'm going to go with OKC in five that's 
a little bit more aggressive than I usually am with these sorts of things. But I, I think that they're going to do a really good job of stopping Portland's offense and getting enough transition to make it work. Yeah, Portland is going to... I think that Cantor is a reasonable facsimile of what they are getting offensively from Nurkic, although he's not as good of a passer as Nurkic. And I think Nurkic made some real strides working with the ball off of those traps, catching it on the short roll and making a play. I don't trust Cantor quite as much in those situations. Cantor does help their offensive rebounding. The Blazers, second best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. And the Thunder are good when Steven Adams is on the floor and when he's not, they're not on the defensive glass. CJ McCollum's health also a concern he came back over the weekend did not play tonight but hasn't shot it well in those two games so it's a question of how good he's going to look his iso game is going to be dependent on being able to get separation and OKC has a lot of good defenders who are could cause him problems in theory uh Seth Curry is another guy who you know really is not very athletic and you could see OKC causing him some problems as well be interesting to see i mean i think he's a key player in this series he is a guy that they didn't have as a bench player last year who could really make shots and you know maybe he'll come in and he'll play some next to dame and try to make shots as they're pinging the ball around after those pick and roll traps portland certainly concerns me a lot they are not exactly a titan they do have the home court advantage it is a good home court advantage Lillard has fallen off recently, but he's had a hell of a year as well. Arguably, it's just as good as Paul George in the aggregate. Both teams have health concerns. I'm ultimately going to go with the team that has home court. I'm going to go with Portland in seven games. I'm just not an OKC believer. They have not been playing well. They probably should have been the eighth seed, and I don't feel good about it. We are, this is maybe the biggest separation I think you and I have like ever had in picking a series. It's pretty darn close for you to go in five and me to go in seven the other way. And I also picked Portland in seven last year and they got slept by by a lower seeded team and they're also the three seeded. And these teams are very close in terms of point differential. The numbers are right there. And that Nurkic injury and McCollum coming back definitely scares me a lot. I just don't really like either of these teams that much. And so I'm just going to go with the home court and hopefully Dame Lillard uh, can have a, a much better playoff series than he has had in the last couple of years yeah this is i i believe the biggest disagreement we've ever had and i i don't feel super strongly about the thunder i just find their their theory of the case a lot str- i find their theory of the case better in this specific circumstance you're right that they haven't been playing particularly well and i mean even in that houston game they were down a lot and before that furious comeback and eventual win that was not a game where they you know where it looks like oh all is right in the world for the whole thing and you know we've seen teams have those sorts of games late in the year where maybe they They've had their struggles and it looks like they figured it out. That is not the what I took away from that game. And this was a funhouse mirror against against Milwaukee on Tuesday, on sorry, on Wednesday night. So I don't feel yeah, great about still, it either. Like it didn't exactly wow. Although obviously with that with George out, they're they're a different team there, right? And if this if if the the last few minutes of the games on on Wednesday night would have gone differently, I I probably would not have picked OKC against. Oh, I don't I don't know. I haven't really processed what an OKC Denver series would that would have been weird for a couple of reasons. But this is what we have now. I just picked this series, so you get to pick the next one. The Denver Nuggets won. 54 games that was 3.7 wins more than expected 
had the point differential of a 50 win team seventh on offense and 11th on defense that was a market improvement over where they had been previously the san antonio spurs also a relatively lucky team 48 and 34 point differential of a 46 win team plus 2.0 net rating the spurs were fifth on offense which is just amazing to think about but 20th on defense and where i want to start here is these numbers spurs with lamarcus aldridge on the court 1.2 net rating with demar Derozan on the court right at zero and those numbers were neutral and even negative in the case of Derozan for much of the year the spurs starting lineup just does not have the three-point shooting and certainly we'll see pop change that up a, l- a little bit i'm guessing but this is another matchup like with portland where I think Denver's defense, they're able to cobble it together in the regular season with intelligence and a lot of Paul Millsap and mitigating Nikola Jokic's weaknesses. And if they had to play a team with a lot of shooting and a lot of athletes like the Warriors or Houston, I mean, they have massively struggled defensively against those teams. I actually really like this matchup for the Spurs or or for Denver defensively because I think they've got intelligent defenders, the Spurs on their first unit don't shoot a lot of threes they don't really move the ball a lot they don't have great passers they're not going to stretch this denver defense out i do think that derozan and aldridge have decent individual matchups for when they want to iso you know they don't really have a super long guy denver but i think there's the ability for denver to help intelligently against those guys and i just think that denver's starters are so much better i mean paul Millsap 8.4 net rating Jokic 6.3 and the spurs really have done it this year when they've gone to and especially on offense in particular like bertans has really been a bellwether for them a 115 offensive rating when he's on the floor and i just don't think that and uh patty mills another guy who's really a bellwether rudy gay with some of those bench units although it's quite possible he'll start of course i'm just not a believer in the spurs starters and they've done a lot of their damage with bench units and greg popovich always has an awesome bench but that's not going to matter as much in these playoffs and so i i like denver pretty well in this series and i really don't think that the spurs are going to be able to keep up with them i don't think they have a great matchup for Jokic. i think murray can have a big series because the spurs don't have anyone who can guard in the perimeter and i think even paul Millsap will have a chance to get into the post summit as well and do some damage so i actually like denver to win this series pretty comfortably i would say you talked about how denver has a weakness against these athletic teams that can shoot i i fully agree with you there they also have a lot of trouble defending opposing small forwards and san antonio i mean rudy gay can have some moments but that's not a particular i and DeRose, i don't see DeRozan as that guy you know like i think he'll have some moments i think he'll, he'll have some but I don't, my instinct on this series is not that, oh, DeMar DeRozan's going to carry the Spurs to a couple of wins. You know, it could happen. I'm not, I'm not foreclosing the possibility, but they don't have like a a Kevin Durant or even a, a Paul George. I don't think of DeRozan as that type of dominant offensive player. San Antonio's strengths are at different parts of the floor 
where I think Denver is better suited to handling those strengths. Also, Denver, some one thing they've done really well this year is they've gotten back in transition defense. That's not going to have to be as zealous a point of focus against San Antonio. San Antonio doesn't always go after it as hard, though San Antonio themselves, they get back a lot in transition defense. So we'll have to keep an eye keep an eye on it there. But Jokic is, is the focal point really for me of this series. And San Antonio can try a lot of looks, but I don't think any of them are going to be particularly effective. I think Derek White will be a key of this series for San Antonio if he can do a good job on, I, I assume he'll be on Jamal Murray for meaningful portions. Yeah, yeah. Bounce, I, I guess over. that's that, that's the one guy that I wasn't that I wasn't thinking. Right. Of yeah. Like I mean, I had Derek. Yet. I consider Derek White for all defense, and so he he can do it. Whether he, whether that will happen over the course of you know twenty five plus minutes each game and however long the series goes is is a very different question. But something else, I mean, you you talked about, and I agree with you, that this is a very favorable matchup for the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets are not coming into these playoffs particularly strong. Tom Haberstroh has done some good work about how, you know, momentum, momentum is overstated and overrated. And Denver should hope for that considering they won nine of their first 10 this season. And they did not do well, particularly in the last 10 games. They did win against OKC in OKC. And they had that win over Portland as well. But I mean, they nearly lost today to Minnesota in a game that it's certainly seemed like structurally they should have wanted to win. And they got they got beat by the Jazz. And then we're not even the Portland game. The second Portland game was a little bit different because they weren't playing their dudes. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you, though, that the overall sentiment here is that this is a, a not only a very favorable matchup for Denver, but a significantly more favorable matchup for Denver than some of the other teams they could have gotten. Yeah, I I do think that's true. I mean, a big part of the problem for Denver has been that Will Barton and Gary Harris just have not been good, and that starting lineup, which was awesome at in limited minutes because they just they can never get all five of those guys healthy at once. You know, Barton five hundred true shooting. Gary Harris used to be one of the more efficient two guards in the league. He's fifty two percent true shooting, so those guys are, are going to have to make some shots. And you know, Mike Malone might have to go away from Will Barton, especially if he's not capable of guarding Demar Derozan, and we'll see a lot of Derozan likely at the three especially to close games you know we could see lineups like Mills and Forbes together White and Mills together with DeRozan at the three Gay at the four and Aldridge at five to close games out for San Antonio I do think that Greg Popovich is a little bit overrated as a playoff coach compared to a regular season coach but Mike Malone is completely untested in that area so you'd have to say that the Spurs have a big coaching advantage here and especially when it comes to the rotations I do wonder Malone is going to have some very hard choices to make if certain guys are not as effective as their salaries and previous roles on the team might indicate and even some of the guys off the bench you know Malik Beasley has shot it well this year but it doesn't do much else Monte Morris has come down to earth a little bit maybe we'll see him close some games if the Spurs go with their own small backcourt where does Torrey Craig fit in are they going to be able to stop DeRozan without having to play him he really hurts the offense so you know it's really more of a vote against San Antonio than for Denver to say that I think Denver has an advantage in this series but I think I'm going to go with Denver in five games I just don't quite believe in the San Antonio team I don't believe in DeRozan uh their starting unit doesn't make a ton of sense offensively just with the lack of shooting they do shoot it well but a lot of that is bench guys uh so i'm uh not another one i'm particularly confident in i might have wanted to go denver in six but i think this is more just believing in Jokic as the best player in the series and i think he's going to have a dominant run against what has been a porous sports defense this season 
This is not true in terms of scheme, because that was a a different part of the story in Philly, Brooklyn, but I'm going to make the same case, which is that on talent, I would have this series as Denver and five, but because of the uncertainty of Mike Mullen in the playoffs, the uncertainty of a lot of the players on this Denver team, and the adjustments that Malone makes, even though that's kind of my 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 idea, I think Nuggets and six is, I'm just going to say that's a more likely outcome. I'm going to pick it because the idea that maybe it takes them a game to figure it out. Maybe they lose one of those first two at home. And then, you know, it's one of those series that goes six, but doesn't necessarily feel like it's really in doubt after, after the spur, after the Nuggets kind of find their bearings. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Nuggets and six where I think we're of similar minds, but that's where I'm going. Okay, your turn to pick the next series here. Oh man, lots of barn burners left. I guess I'll go Yeah, these three series are pretty bad. Yeah, I guess I'll go with Raptors Magic. I mean, Toronto... It'll at least be interesting to see a team that we haven't seen in the playoffs in the playoffs. Right, and and also worth mentioning, you know, I was talking about how after February February 1st, the Nuggets, sorry, the Jazz and the Rockets are one and two respectively in net rating during that, you know, it's about a 30-game window. The Magic are third, and they've been defending really well. This is a meaningfully different Raptors team than the ones that that have preceded them. That's something I talked about with Tim Bontemps on Real Jam Radio last week. I do wonder if like, you know, starting five versus starting five, if Denver or sorry, if, if Orlando can put some put some stops together and, and, and do a good job there. My big question, I think that to me, the definitive part of this series is just going to be, can Orlando score reliably on Toronto? Really, like if they're playing their best guys, they just have so much defensive talent on the floor. Yeah, the one place that you might say that Orlando could attack is with Vucevic, but presumably with the big center matchup, it'll be Marcus Gasol. Vucevic will not be able to score effectively on Gasol in the post. I would anticipate Gasol is one of the best post defenders in the NBA. Now, maybe the stretch element of Vucevic could cause some problems, but the Magic don't have a lot of great shooting either. You know, if it's pick and pop, I think that Toronto can cause problems for Augustine, who's really undersized, and make it difficult for him to get that pass over to Vucevic you know we may see Danny Green on Augustin and maybe Larry will play off the ball and you know I don't think Vuce is the type of shooter who's just gonna beat you all by himself with pick and pop threes that they also have really long defenders who who can maybe rotate or stun over at him and outside of that you know I mean that Augustine Vucevic pick and roll has been way better than you would have ever thought it had a right to be but it, it's really difficult to see how this magic team is going to be able to score they don't have any real great matchups Terrence Ross you know maybe he'll just go crazy in in a game against the Raptors bench and and maybe that's how they could win one in this series um also a concern is the health of Jonathan Isaac with it being in the concussion protocol he did not play on Wednesday in a game that the Magic needed to win hopefully he will be ready but uh, the series starts on Saturday but I mean they're not going to win either the first two games in Toronto anyway so it doesn't matter (laughs) uh I think really the inflection will be you know can they win one or zero in Orlando and uh I think it's going to be zero. I'm going to, I'm going to pick a sweep here. We could talk a little bit more about the series, but I kind of led myself into that a little bit. So the Raptors finished the year plus 6.1 net rating, sixth in offense, fifth in defense. And Orlando deserves a ton of praise. Clifford most among them. And remember, in the early part of the season, they were playing some below replacement player guys, 
Bamba and Jaron Grant in particular. They ended the season eighth in defense, 22nd though in offense, so an overall plus one net rating. An argument in favor of the Magic doing a little bit better is that when their starting lineup has been on the floor, and more specifically when Vooch has been on the floor, they've they've been a, a, a more than positive team. I think they're a plus three or plus four net rating during that time. The problem is they're going to be going against a real strength for Toronto and Toronto has the ability they have the they have smart enough defenders that I think they'll be able to attack especially John Isaac you know I I said we were doing a, I think we we're doing an NBA cast and I I'm a big John Isaac believer defensively that every time he takes a takes a jump shot I don't think it's going in that's more just the mechanics of it the way that it looks you know he obviously does make a portion of them but if Toronto is given the choice of basically saying like if John Isaac is going to beat us on jump shots and we can shut down a lot of other things they they can do it and Siakam is so damn fast that I think they can make some of that work and this series has a lot of parallels to me with some of the other ones that are out there with big talent disparities we'll get into this a little bit in the series that are the series that are still remaining to discuss where Toronto has a lot of different things they can try if something isn't working you know they can go with these smaller lineups they can shift around the guard rotations they could even put Fred Van Vliet in to pick up Augustine earlier on the floor to make him work a little bit harder Orlando doesn't really have that you know Terrence Ross maybe he can be a part of it I've still kind of wished that they went to more of those mixed lineups because Ross is just a much better offensive player and maybe they're they defend well enough with a different lineup but Orlando just doesn't have a lot of moves here this team does not have that kind of personnel yet and Toronto even though they haven't gotten as nearly as much from the bench this year as they did last year they still have depth in the ways that matter in a series like this so yeah I'm going Raptors in four as well yeah, and I think if it does get down to the end of the game, Kawhi Leonard, you can go small, small pick and roll with Kyle Lowry, go at DJ Augustin. Lowry uh, would be a great pop man on that play. Magic don't have a, a ton of long help defenders uh, at the rim either. Uh, outside of Isaac, it's uh, Vucevic. I mean, the, Clifford has done a wonderful job of getting as much as they have out of him defensively this year, but I think in a playoff series, they'll be able to really cause problems for Vuce uh, as well. But I actually don't think that Toronto is just going to completely destroy this team off- offensively. It's just going to be the Magic going to have no chance to score. I mean, I, I expect to see multiple games in this series where the Magic are below a point per possession during the competitive portion of the game. Let's turn to the other series in the East now. I think this one is going to be a massacre. Detroit and Milwaukee, the Bucks' best team in the NBA all season, plus 9.1 net rating, 60 and 22, and probably could have got to 62 or 63 wins if they'd actually tried down the end. They just didn't need to. Third-ranked offense, again, and second-ranked defense. I mean, they're again, if they had tried down the end, they might have been close to number one in both categories. We know what their strengths are. They don't foul. They don't give up offensive rebounds and they're also one of the best in the in the league at just forcing misses from their opponent and the only thing they don't really do a ton of it is force turnovers defensively the biggest thing we have to start though here is Blake Griffin that left knee soreness has kept him out of a ton of games lately he missed four of well actually it was uh he missed three games in a row then he had 45 points in 34 minutes against OKC Then in a game against Charlotte, he had 16 points, but was 5 of 18 from the field. And then two nights after that against Memphis, he was a total decoy. They went down by 20 and ended up only coming back when he went out of the game. And then he didn't play in what was a must win, although 
uh, it was against the Knicks, so they had plenty of reason to think they were going to win it anyway, but uh, did not play in that must-win game today. Uh, as it turned out, they would have made it anyway because uh, Charlotte lost but it, and Miami lost, but it was uh, not good for Griffin, and I don't know whether he aggravated it again in the OKC game. The other thing is Blake does not have a good matchup against Giannis. Detroit might have the worst possible matchups just about in the whole league of guys to guard Giannis. Is I and in the season series this year, the Bucks swept the Pistons, and only one of the games was within double digits, and that was in Detroit. So I just don't see any way that Detroit can compete in this series, even with Blake healthy, and he's not. And that forgets even the chance of Detroit like trying to score against this team, which seems rather unlikely. This would have been a brutal matchup for the Pistons at full strength. Also, char- the the way the way that Milwaukee's defense is structured, they don't give up anything at the rim in terms in terms of frequency or success. They they concede threes, and that's a big problem. I mean, especially with with Bullock being gone. Yes, they did replace him with Wayne Ellington, but I, I think that Detroit's limitations as a shooting team they shot 35 percent from three on the season even though they actually did get up a lot of attempts relative to the, the proportions but as a lot of problems it'll, i'm going to be really fascinated to see whether drummond can how how big of a role he plays on the offensive glass just because that has been such a strength for milwaukee but you don't face teams like detroit that often but even if he gets a ton of de- offensive rebounds then they're you know they're still not going to be able to score particularly efficiently so yeah this is to me this is a a, a pretty clear bucks and four and maybe maybe it goes five just if somebody goes crazy but i actually think this is the most likely sweep in not only the first round but as we see it constructed right now in the entire playoff well warriors and whoever they play in the west finals would have to be up there uh as would warriors clippers uh, as well i would say but yeah I, I think the other thing i'll say too is detroit's offensive rebounding they're running right up against uh, the best defensive rebounding team in the league brooke lopez is huge he's a good box out guy i think he is going to cause problems for andre drummond now detroit has had moments when they were really on that run in february where they shot extremely well from three they had a month where they were shooting 41 percent from three and that they've really fallen off of course since then but with canard ellington they're not going to play a non-shooter at the three because they just don't have anyone with size at the three uh that's another massive problem they'll have if they get down the end of a game chris middleton will be able to just shoot right over anyone who wants to on detroit uh, if the bucks decide to go that way um i think this is almost a bad thing for the bucks that they're just not going to be challenged by a real playoff team with real playoff strengths because that can they're just just going to play the way they played all season and they're going to roll and they're not really going to have to try anything different which you know i think eventually they're going to have to do they're going to have to find another style whether it's Giannis at center whether it's more switching whether it's getting chris middleton going a little bit more in isolation on occasion whether it's maybe brooke lopez in this post when he's guarded by a smaller guy detroit's not going to stress them like that they're just going to play the same way they're going to play and they're going to kill and Giannis will have a huge series i'm sure um and then you know against boston i think we'll uh we'll have to see what happens and that's a series that i think although i favor milwaukee is gonna stress them a little bit more here um so we're both going with the sweep here on this one yes sir all right warriors clippers to me the question here is whether we see a redux of 2018 and the warriors do a gentleman's sweep rather than an actual sweep 
the Clippers biggest problem against Golden State who we should note that the Clippers played the Warriors close the first two times the first game these two teams played this year was the game that went to overtime with the Draymond Kevin Durant argument then the second time they played I think the Warriors won by a couple points the Warriors actually lost that overtime game the first one and yeah, no then Steph the Curry last in two, that first game no Steph Curry in that first game and there was no Gallo in the game these teams played at Oracle about a week ago and the Warriors just absolutely trucked them so you have a couple things one the Clippers cannot stop the Warriors. They do not. I mean, Beverly being being around in this in the series, which when he was not on Sunday, will be helpful. But they don't really have anybody for Clay Thompson. They don't have anybody for Kevin Durant. They don't have rim protection in most configurations. And the Warriors are the best offense in the league. So that is a big problem. The talent advantage in close games, should any game get close, is a big a big challenge. And the Clippers' approach of generally speaking, and we'll see how much this holds playing two of their best players partially due to fit in the second unit that will produce some gains i think we could see some some clippers runs at various moments in this in this series but they're just going to be conceding so much you know they're going to start every game in a hole and lou williams might dig him out of it you know for a, a couple of times maybe in like in in a in a couple of stretches but will he will he and montrez harrell be able to dig them out enough to actually win a game in the series is a much 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 bigger question to me, the most interesting questions here, and just to run you through their stats, Golden State, 7.9 net rating, 57-25, and 25, but had the point differential of a 60-win team, number one on offense by a full point per possession, number nine defense that improved a lot. We're one of the best in the league over the last 20 games or so, despite that debacle home loss to Dallas. The Clippers... Looked like they were going to sail to the number six seed and then had some struggles starting with a loss at home to the Lakers over the weekend. So did get to 48 wins. That actually ties the fewest number of wins by an eighth seed that I think we've ever had or or, or the most yeah the most number of wins by an eighth seed that we ever had there might have been a, a season in 2010 when I think all of the teams in the west won 50 games so maybe I'm I'm conflating that with uh the most number of wins by a ninth seed in a conference but regardless the Clippers 48 wins really overstates where they were all season certainly were a different team down the end after trading Tobias Harris but only at the point differential of a 43 win team they were the luckiest team in the NBA eighth on offense but much of that is getting to the foul line number one in the NBA with guys like Harrell Lou Williams Gallo those are the three guys who you know Harrell does it by just being strong and going through guys and being athletic Lou and Gallo a little bit more with the tricks Lou overall in his career has been significantly worse in the playoffs in part because he hasn't been able to get to the foul line at the same level Gallo to me is a good shooter but and 45% from three is a big time career high we'll see if he can keep that up in this series but the Warriors just have too many guys to throw at him who are really good who aren't going to fall for all the tricks who are going to make him finish at the rim over length the Warriors give up shots at the rim but they defend them extremely well they I believe led the league in block shots for the third time in three seasons in the Kevin Durant era and I totally agree with you that they have zero chance of stopping the Warriors. The most interesting thing to me about this series is who's going to play. Uh, Doc started Harrell instead of Zubac in that game in Oakland. We'll see whether he decides to do that again. But Harrell is not a capable switch defender. What the Clippers are going to try and do is topside the Warriors shooters, avoid switching. They're probably going to put Lou Williams on Draymond Green and just hide him. But your problem there is... 
Draymond Green is going to set screens for every action. So Lou's either going to have to get involved there or your strategy is, well, we're going to put our best help defender on Draymond and hope that he can help off of Draymond and muck up stuff at the rim and Lou's not going to be able to do that either. There really is just nowhere to hide Lou Williams and the Clippers just, they have too many guys who are just total one-way guys. So they may have a game where they just get hot they don't take a ton of threes though so maybe they just get to the foul line and, and that's really something that can slow the Warriors down so maybe they get one game like that where they just really get hot and outscore Golden State and Golden State gets cold from three themselves but I don't I don't see it happening I think this is gonna be another sweep I'm picking the sweep but have full confidence that whether it's the Clippers getting hot or the Warriors just not caring that they will lose one game in this series and it will go to a game five. But I'm still picking Warriors in four because that's the most reasonable outcome. Well, if you have full confidence, why wouldn't you pick it in five? <laughs> because that's not what should happen. The Warriors are I, I the I do war- not like, think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> I, I just I just know how the, I just know how this works. I mean, it's I, I'm still mad at myself for picking Warriors in four last year and knowing how it was going to go. But yeah, it's that that's the I mean, way. Well, that's the way this you you picked the Warriors to sweep the Spurs last year I without Steph. No. Oh no, that's right. Steph was hurt. I forgot that Steph was hurt. Yeah. How no, quickly I picked things it to change? Go seven, and I. I oh, I think like I picked it to go six. I think I picked yeah. it to go six. Yeah, because I mean the Warriors were playing. I totally. So badly, that's that's amazing then, how long this goes. I had totally forgotten that Steph was hurt in that series. I remembered it earlier yeah. today. I was talking about it with somebody, but I forgot it right now. Yeah. Well, and then Kerr came out and started Andre at point guard in that series, and as soon as he did that, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be good. The Spurs are just not going to score at all." And uh, yeah, they won the first three, and then. Uh, had that ridiculous game four loss that the coaching staff was so upset about and then uh, took care of him in game five although even that game five was like was one of the worst clinching games in history like they were up and then ended up almost throwing away a 10-point lead in the last two minutes anyway that people don't care about rehashing last year's most boring series they want to hear about uh this year's most boring series um i mean for for the clippers as well or, or i'm sorry for the warriors i'm very interested to see how demarcus cousins is used he did not have a good game against the clippers last time out but certainly in the post he's got an advantage on harold but maybe just because he's ultimately not that efficient and he turns it over you know maybe a demarcus post up you're looking at that as a win if you're the clippers i thought doc rivers did a nice job in their last matchup of fixing it so zubach would be on the floor in that start of the second quarter minutes where it's clay thompson and demarcus out there and also bring back Lou Williams for that time, even though Lou and Harold, as I mentioned, both started that game. Um, and again, they had guys out, so maybe that, that'll change a little bit, uh, especially in the backcourt, to bring Lou off the bench. Um, so, and Zubac actually, I thought, did a nice job of causing DeMarcus some problems with, with just his verticality and size. But I don't see, think Zubac is going to be swinging this series. And then when the Warriors close out halves and go to Andre Guadala with green at center. I think uh, that'll be when we'll see some game deciding runs, you know, end of the first half, last three, four minutes or so. So what are our uh, differences here? So the only difference in terms of winners of the series that we have is the Blazers Thunder series. In terms of duration, we actually have a lot of differences. We only agree. Oh, actually, we agree on the entire East. I was I was looking at the West first. I'm like, oh, we disagree on a bunch of stuff. But in the East, we have all the same. We have all the same series lengths. And then the West Nuggets in five for you, Nuggets in six for me. Then the Blazers Thunder one I already discussed. And then for Rockets Jazz, I have the Rockets in six. You have the Rockets in seven. So I guess before we go, we should probably pick. I'm, now it's starting. Okay. I just want to make sure. Sorry. We're good now. 
So I guess we should probably do our overall predictions for the playoffs as well. I will go first. We'll do our conference finalists and champion. I think we can save the number of games. Well, we should probably save the number of games. Might as well, but we're giving our, ourselves a chance to repick those as the matchups actually get put into black ink as we go into the series. But interesting to look at it right now. In the second round, I will have Denver beating the Blazers in six games. I have the Warriors beating Houston in five games. And then I have the Warriors sweeping the Denver Nuggets to get into the NBA Finals. How do you see the West playing out? Warriors over Rockets, I'm I'm torn between five and six because Houston has done a really good job of getting the Warriors out of out of sorts. And even though their personnel I'm gonna go Rocket I'm gonna go Warriors over Rockets in six. So I'll go I'll go one deeper there. Then we have a different second round series because I have it being against the, the Thunder, but we have the same team winning. I'm gonna go Nuggets over Thunder in seven. Though part of me feels stupid about that because I think if it was Portland, then I would pick it in, in fewer games. But I'm okay with that. And and then Warriors over over Nuggets. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the sweep as well. They've they've gener- when they've given a shit, they play Denver well. So yeah, I'll go with I'll go with Warriors over Nuggets in four. In the East, man, Marcus Smart being out for a Boston Milwaukee series is a real bummer. I think they are really going to miss him quite a bit as a help guy, as the guy who's gonna guard Middleton. I still think Boston can push Milwaukee though and I think that they have a series coaching advantage. I think that's going to be a seven gamer. I'm going to go Milwaukee over Boston in seven games. On the other side of the bracket I got Toronto in five over Philly. I think that Philly's lack of depth and their many weaknesses are just going to catch up with them. The one thing that they did have was Embiid posting up and then Toronto got Gasol to, I think, mitigate that advantage. And I think this regular season, no matter what cast of characters it was for Philly, made it clear that they are not a good matchup against Toronto. And then I'm going to pick Toronto to get to the NBA Finals. I got them in six over Milwaukee, but that's only because I think Milwaukee is a pretty good home court. And if Toronto is going to win it, they're going to have to do it at home in game six. I think that series is very, very close. That's kind of, you know, a 55-45 type of thing for me. I could very easily see Milwaukee winning it. If all of their guys were healthy, I would feel a lot better about them. And that's also part of why I have it going to seven in the second round against Boston. Because unclear, Miritich, Brogdon, I mean, those guys seems like they're expected back for the second round. But they, for a guy like Miritich, there's a shooter with a hand injury. Brogdon does have experience coming back from injury before, but he's a really important part of what they're doing and so i don't expect those guys to be playing at absolute full strength and i think they're going to need that to beat this toronto tr and just really uh, since the very beginning of the year since this toronto team got put together in the summer and now they've added gasol as well without really losing anyone who's extremely important to what they were doing i i and they have played so well with gasol on the floor also that I, i like them to get to the nba finals and then i think they'll actually give the warriors a run uh but i'll save that pick to let you fill out your east bracket first this is bizarre because we have various differences of opinion in the west we were exactly the same teams and teams and durations in the east for the first round we're that way for the second round as well boston first of all i i I think boston is going to win their series so then like we i feel pretty comfortable that it's going to be boston versus milwaukee sometimes you want to hedge various things based on if the matchup is different boston gives milwaukee a bunch of problems i'm hoping that that the bucks are healthier by that point miritich 
which, you know, it sounds like he's on his way back, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like and when that's going to be. But the, some of the tactical elements uh, that that Boston can bring, the idea of attacking but not trying to attack to get a foul or to get to the rim is something that Boston brings to the table that is very that is dangerous and that can be there. Yeah. And then Boston's and, defense and, and is... And Kyrie with the drop, pick, and roll coverage too. I mean, he, he yeah, absolutely get a three-pointer there. I mean, he's someone I think they should be very concerned with. And Boston has a lot of different approaches. Now, the idea behind why we were so excited for Miritich and some of the other things that Milwaukee has done over the course of the years that they would have them. We just haven't had the opportunity to see some of those iterations yet. And it's always hard to go into the playoffs without much of an ex- much experience going to some of those things. Like, for example, Giannis at center next to Miritich, one of those type those types of systems haven't been really been seen that much. So I'll go I'll go Bucks over Celtics in seven as well. Raptors Sixers. The theory of Philly's starting closing five is fascinating against Toronto because the, this idea of you know like can they have the force of will? But I don't think they have as many advantages to push, especially because I expect in that theoretical lineup that Danny Green will be guarding JJ Redick and then you know chasing him around and all that and then I the Sixers I don't see it as being like oh they're gonna oh, I attack think, I think Lowry. it's actually I think it's gonna be Lowry guarding Redick personally Lowry can't do it it's just whoever gets caught on whoever does a better job in energy and, and workloads yeah, well because they don't want to beat a size disadvantage against Simmons Butler or Harris with Lowry so I think Lowry is the clear guy to guard Redick but yeah, I think they, Lowry they can do it that way better Lowry is much better than most point guards would be at competing and chasing Redick around screens you know I mean I think that's part of the Philly advantage is well who the hell are you going to put your point guard on you know yeah we might not be able to guard your point guard but you know you don't have a place to hide you know say Kyrie Irving um but you know I think Lowry does a pretty good job with that kind of stuff and then they've got Van Vliet who's another guy who'd be awesome on Reddick oh yeah Van Van Vliet I think will get that assignment fairly frequently and also the uh, the Sixers capacity to stagnate now if Embiid takes a big step then he could he could be a difference maker but that's also why Toronto got Marcus Gasol was to try to slow him down it probably would not stop Joel Embiid, but to slow him down. A little bit worried about Joel Embiid's health. So I'm I'm going with Raptors over Sixers, Sixers and five as well. Raptors Bucks is, is really tough for me. I, I think that there there are really good arguments for the idea that Milwaukee is just that they're that they're better. You know, that a team that has been this good in the regular season, a lot of times that bears itself out. This is not, you know, like a a, a hollow 60 win team. This is a team that played at a point differential that was actually above the the wins that they had and while I like the theory of Toronto I love the theory of Toronto there's there I mean Milwaukee has a lot they have incandescent talent they have a lot you know Giannis and and I think a lot of that series could be fascinating to see what role Kawhi Leonard plays in it though and, and, and there is the chance certainly and I think this shifted a little bit for me with the news that Marcus Smart will miss extended time you know he might miss some or all of that second round series because part of why I was more comfortable picking the Raptors over the Bucks was that they have an easier path to get there, which I still do agree with. But you said Raptors over Bucks in six. I'm going to go over in seven out of respect to, to to what Milwaukee's done. And I think Milwaukee could win the series outright. So, you know, I, I, absolutely. So I'm going to go there and then, but that does leave us with the same, same two teams in the NBA finals. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? 
Um, no, I, I can go first. I actually think it's going to be a six gamer and the Warriors will win it. But you know, I think just the versatility of the surround team, I think they might be the best equipped team, even more so than Houston last year, perhaps to guard this Warriors team in the KD era. I think it'll ultimately come down to the fact that I don't know if the Raptors are going to be able to score well enough against Golden State that I'm not enough of a believer in their shooting. And that's something that could pop up in a Bucks series as well, possibly in a, in a Sixers series. Um, but the Raptors are pretty healthy going going into the playoffs. They've really been working towards this. They played a lot of different styles. Uh, I think they, they are, they've got just so much versatility and length and they really can match and maybe even exceed the Warriors defensively. So I think this is, this is a really good Raptors team, and I think they're going to potentially cause problems for Golden State, even if uh, the Warriors do end up winning it. But, I, I mean, this will be fascinating. We In the Kevin Durant era, only one team has taken more than a single game off the Warriors in a series, and that was Houston last year. So you certainly could be forgiven in not predicting, and I'm not sure that there's a team this year that's as good as Houston was last year. There is another parallel between that series and this one is that that series against Houston is the only other time that the Warriors have not had home court and they will not have home court in a theoretical NBA finals against either the Bucks or the Raptors and that is a significant portion not the not all of it obviously but a, a portion of why I'm picking Warriors in six that would be because of the 2-2-1-1-1 format like all NBA playoff series are that will be that game would be at Oracle that allows them you know maybe they pull they pull one of the games in Toronto or in Milwaukee and I, I actually would predict the series going six against either opponent because both the Raptors and the Bucks can play Golden State well they can defend them well like you my biggest concern for both theoretically Milwaukee or Toronto against the Warriors is that team the Eastern Conference team scoring the Warriors have especially when they'll be engaged and they'll they'll have their best defensive personnel on oh, the oh, floor. See, I, I disagree with you actually I think if it's the Bucks, I think I'm more concerned about the Bucks stopping the Warriors I think the Bucks actually will be able to to score reasonably well against Golden State especially unless it, you know Giannis is maybe the guy that they've gone up against who might finally break their switching system uh that you really just cannot get caught in the bad matchup with him and with the shooters are around him that it, they just will have to play it a little bit more conventionally possibly uh, I, I think it's just going to be more of a problem for Milwaukee to stop them but maybe if Milwaukee can do more switching and be more versatile against Golden State you know they they can uh their defense can look good too I mean I, but I agree with you I think if Milwaukee gets there especially because if they get there they're obviously playing well to have made it out of the these great teams in the east so uh i, I agree there. i think it would go six with milwaukee also and, and it wouldn't shock me if either of those teams beat golden state although obviously golden state would be I, it wouldn't shock me either favorite. especially with some of the unusual format that this is going to take from golden state's perspective assuming they make it through the first two rounds clean it doesn't look like they're going to get a super serious test in the western conference finals so one team is going to have probably a physical toll because they will have been faced faced this tough series against in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they'll be playing really well because the only way to make it out of that, unless one of the teams gets hurt, is to be playing really well, whereas the Warriors will have probably waxed the team. Maybe they'll have a little bit of rust. Though, you could make an argument that the format, it doesn't help the Warriors overall because one fewer home game is there, but Golden State has had some bad game ones. I'm thinking back to the most memorable of those being in the first finals against the Cavs in 2015. The Cavs should have won that game in regulation. That was the one Amon Shumpert missed missed a 
shot at the end, and then Cleveland ended up winning game two, I believe. I believe that's the way it worked out. It might have been the other way. I just remember You're Cleveland playing in, well. In 2015? In 15, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 20, that, that's correct. Yeah, 20, 2015. They lost the They game lost game one OT. when Kyrie got hurt in, in overtime, and then they won game, and then Cleveland won game two. I believe that's the way yeah, it worked out. Yeah, that, that's correct. And so, um, I, but this time around, that game, if the Warriors, you know, are a little bit flat, that game's going to be at the Eastern Conference team, as long as it's one of these top two. And, you know, if they lose, if the Warriors lose that game, it's, you know, you're looking kind of looking for a split. I mean, obviously they love to win both, but they're, they're, it, I actually think there's less of a kind of emotional swing if they end up being bad in game one and lose it. So yeah, I mean, this, this is going to be a really fun run. I am less confident in some of my picks this year than before partially you know that's some of the challenges of going through it and I think a big part of that is just because the players missing time and you know like Paul George's injury is a good example here like how does a week from now is that a persistent story or is that something that is kind of resolved and we don't there's not really a way to know an answer on that and I think that was a big a big part of 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 the predictions here when the Bucks are going to get their guys back Brogdon and Miritich that's extremely important as well in terms of how long the Celtic series goes how dicey it is so and, and the the length of the series and obviously unfortunately we're going to see other guys get hurt too and that will that will shift these dynamics as well both in terms of who wins series and how long they take I mean the one that's in my head right now is that Blazers Clippers series a couple years ago where Portland won it though it looks like they were going to lose the series before Blake and CP got hurt one more quick question. Who is the second most likely team to make it to the West Finals out of uh, the JV side of the bracket? Uh, I think it, even though I'm picking them to lose to Portland in the first round, I think it's actually OKC. Because OKC I think has it, a high, they, they have a higher well ceiling. Enough, yeah. 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 That, 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 I, I would go with that. That's part of why I'm picking them in that series, is that I think they're where they, the level they can get to is meaningfully higher than Portland and San Antonio. I mean, that it would not only would it be shocking to me if they beat Denver, it would be shocking to me that they beat the team that came out of the other side as well like they're just they're not particularly well suited to beating to beating the thunder and if it's the blazers i mean i guess they could win that series boy would that be, yeah. would that be weird if it's like warriors rockets and then spurs blazers on the other side of the bracket maybe we'd finally get some momentum yeah. for like picking opponents or something like that i i wouldn't even rule it out that the spurs could get there i mean i know i was pretty low on their chances against denver but you know just because none of these teams are really just juggernaut type of teams i mean this is basically four 50 win teams going at each other and yeah the spurs are are a little bit lower but they, they do have some talented individual players who could go off and you know if the blazers beat okc spurs could could easily beat the blazers i mean that that could happen i'm not totally ruling that out at all and so i'm very curious to see how this goes then you might say okc and denver if they match up uh denver has handled them in the regular season it seems like a good matchup for Jokic and Denver's passing ability against that scrambling OKC defense but you know I think OKC would have the best player in that series in Paul George assuming that he's healthy and there's it's so difficult too because there are a lot of these series where you've got guys who are supposed to play but they've kind of been injured and you know Joel Embiid how much is he going to be affected by the knee Blake Griffin and eh, they're probably going to get swept anyway but so that, that's another one George CJ McCollum there's a lot of guys who are coming back from injury where hey they could just be totally fine or they might be a shell of themselves and you just don't really know but I can assure you that I actually I wait I actually have one more question I want to ask and this is I I just thought of this in the last minute 
we're going to narrow this to top 25 players because that's because otherwise it can get too broad. The player of that elite group who changes their perception, let's say for us, but you can you can go broader if you want. The most, it could be positive, it could be negative. So whose perception of a top 25 player changes the most over these next two months? Well, I think Jokic is one that I'm looking at very closely. And it may be that his perception changes and he doesn't even really deserve it, right? I mean, if they get to the West Finals and just get killed by the Warriors, maybe it's like, oh man, this guy, he's, you know, top five player in the league. He got this team to the West Finals when you know, they didn't really beat anybody. You know, it could be that, or it could be, hey, you know, he, he holds up better defensively than we thought and he dominates offensively. Um, you, you know, so I mean, there. I think the overall perception and our perception may be a little bit different or or my perception. Um, so that's one who, who comes to mind. I, I've got others, but who comes to mind for you? If he can be healthy, Joel Embiid is in the conversation yeah. just because I, I mean, if if he just is that guy, then they'll have an opportunity, and it'd be be fascinating to see that. Kawhi Leonard is a big one for me. If he just ha- if if it's been that his defense has been toned down for this year, getting back physically, and he has that again, then all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, I mean, this is I seriously, you know, he was in back back when LeBron was the unquestioned number one. If he had been you know healthy going into the next year, I might have been ready to put him into that conversation, and it's obviously changed over that time if he gets back to that level we're talking about a truly elite player on defense who is not the best offensive player in the league but is undeniable in his own way and then as that ties in with free agency ties in with everything else that's going on this summer it's absolutely fascinating this could be a clarifying year for Harden I think it's really unfortunate for his legacy that it looks like they're gonna that if they win they're probably facing the Warriors in the second round because I mean, there is no shame. Yeah, but in he could he the... could still have a big series and they and they lose. Oh, absolutely, you know? I mean, that's... absolutely, and, and they could and they could beat the Warriors. I'm not I'm not going to say that's you know impossible. I don't expect it to happen, but it, it could. But if it's another, you know, basically, if we're looking at this run where Harden's been in a serious MVP candidate for all of these seasons, and they make one Western Conference Finals out of it, I'm sure there are no, going they've to be already people... made two. Oh, you're right, they did make two. That uh, God, that uh, that series, yeah, the series uh, that, that led to the me... moment of them making it was with him sitting on the bench but yes they did right make it. they did make it you're right that is that is two western conference finals uh so apologies to the houston but th- you get the idea that it's just like that it didn't translate it didn't translate well, as well, much and- well so let me let me go a step further here i think that the title of best player in the nba is up for grabs in this off absolutely or, or this postseason i should say i mean with lebron out he's on the sidelines there's going to be a, a new king i when we did our top 10 players in the nba that was anticipating what was going to happen in these playoffs I picked Kevin Durant and I had Steph Curry number two if the Warriors lose neither of those guys you would think are going to be up there because you would think they wouldn't have played that well you know Harden even and I think Harden even if he plays great in a loss to the Warriors you know that would validate a lot of what he's doing if Giannis gets the Bucks out of the East and plays really well you mentioned Kawhi as well Joel Embiid if they can somehow beat Toronto or even if if Joel can play extremely well and they lose you know maybe he gets into that top five player type of conversation you we'll get some questions answered between he and Jokic of how valuable a center can really be as your best players in today's NBA I mean we've had 10 years I mean really since Dwight Howard in 2011 that we've had a center as a top five player in the league but you know we just the centers just haven't been as good as this crappy young center so maybe you know that's an an interesting test Um, we we went through all this time without talking about Kyrie's return to the playoffs sure yeah I mean that's that's another one too you know he he could take a big step forward Dame Lillard I mean it's pretty much all these guys you know, I mean I think really the only guy to me who doesn't have anything to prove in these playoffs is Kevin Durant 
I would agree. And maybe stuff. I mean, th- those guys are are, are kind of on the downside. They're not in the process of building their legacy still. Uh, well, they, they have less. Um, to, but, they know. have less to prove, but they have plenty to lose in terms of other guys jumping. Them. Sure. Yeah, and, and Steph. I mean, you know, it'd be nice for him and, and his legacy and his perception is potentially being the best player in the NBA to you know maybe win a Finals MVP, um, which he'll have a better chance of doing, I think, this year with KD uh, uh, not kind of going up against LeBron directly um so yeah i mean that that'll be interesting and then i mean we don't even talk about this but the incredible free agent consequences that might occur with every team in the east having major free agents could look totally different all of those teams i mean we may not see this gauntlet in the east again kd obviously so that is uh really going to be fascinating as well but it is time for us to wrap this up here since we're pretty much at the two hour mark make sure you join us on saturday morning 2 30 or Saturday morning, West Coast time, early afternoon, East Coast time, 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. We're going to do the NBA cast alternate play-by-play for Brooklyn and Philly. We'll answer your questions during halftime, during the breaks. So that's a lot of fun. Look for my tweet at Nate Duncan NBA uh, at the start of that game to log in and join us. And we'll be back on Sunday night to wrap up all eight game ones on Dunked On. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 